0: Hello, and thank you for listening to Rangers to the Core. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Wilmington District Environmental Education Team. With this podcast, we strive to keep you informed, educated, and give you a behind-the-scenes look at everyday life as a park ranger. I'm your host, Dylan Brown, and it is time to get to the core of today's topic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rangers to the Core. Today we're going to be talking about how we get things done and specifically about our partners. So as usual for our icebreaker, our question of the month is, as the nights grow longer and the temperatures cooler, the leaves are changing color. Do you have a favorite tree in the fall? Okay, so let's go around the horn with our favorite fall tree. Uh, Let's start with Carmen.
1: Thanks, Dylan. That's a great question. So I'm Carmen Boyette with the Wilmington District Natural Resources Management section. And my favorite tree in the fall is the tulip poplar. Um, It's also called uh, a yellow poplar or tulip tree. And the reason that I really like the tulip poplar is because of its bright uh, yellow leaves in the fall, I think it's just really pretty, and I also really like the shape of their leaves, um, which many people say it, it resembles a cat face. And I think they're pretty, pretty cool trees.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, tulip poplars. It seems like they come up everywhere. So uh, when you it seems like when you see one tulip poplar, you see several of them, and sometimes it can be like a like a yellow or a gold blanket when the leaf change hits just right. So yeah, that's a great one. What about you, Francis?
2: Well, one of my favorite trees is a sycamore tree. I just, I love the way their bark looks and um, the way they're just kind of grow right along rivers and waterways and are kind of hanging out over the water. But unfortunately, their leaf color when they change in the fall is kind of a dingy brown. So they're not my favorite fall tree. I would say my favorite fall tree is probably a red maple. I just, those brilliant reds uh, during peak leaf season of the red maple just really makes fall uh, just bright and special.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Francis. Red maples are gorgeous. What about you, Emily?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one. Uh, some of my favorite native trees that we have here Kind of similar to what Francis was just saying, aren't always the showiest in the fall. So I think I'll probably pick our um, white oak or any of our oak species, maybe. Um, but I love um, getting to see all the different leaves change in the fall. I love the science behind it. But I think the oaks, one of the reasons I like them in the fall is the fall trees. They kind of hang on to their leaves a little bit longer than some of our other native trees in this area. So you know, you might see their leaves just a little bit longer, taking a little bit more time to change, all that kind of stuff, which I like the, the longer, not necessarily the immediate drop, I guess. So I'll go with oak.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's a great choice. I'm actually going to piggyback off of you and Francis both. I think like Francis has a showy tree. The red maples are just gorgeous. I love seeing a, a red maple in full color and seeing that full red crown. It's really pretty. But then I also got to throw in, like you said, a, a good mass tree. So uh, white oaks. You know, white-tailed deer and black bear. You know, they just—that's such a staple of their diet throughout the fall yeah. and squirrels as well. As far as uh, the acorns that's falling off those white oak trees, cause you know squirrels are stashing those to get them through the winter. Mm-hmm. So, as a mass tree, you know that's that's definitely my favorite one. All right, let's go to John Bannerman. Hey, everyone, uh, John Bannerman uh, here
4: at Jordan Lake. So, I'm surprised I didn't hear this tree already so i guess um it's going to be the Roddy danger field of fall trees it's going to be the sourwood so i think the red maple gets a lot of um rightful um respect with how colorful it can be in the fall but i have found that sourwood trees are even more colorful they'll go from this really unique yellow to like almost like a pinkish red so Check out a sourwood tree if you um if you're able to identify it they could be found pretty much throughout the entire state of north carolina and virginia outside of um the most uh low-lying coastal areas it's a it's typically an understory tree so it'll be in more typically like established forests um but it's one of the first trees to start turning color so if you're looking out in and like a well-established forest and you see a quick pop of yellow or red all by itself, there's a pretty good chance that'll be a sourwood tree.
0: That's awesome, John. Yeah. Uh, it's funny cause sourwoods a lot of times it don't seem like they get a lot of love during the spring. You know, they got those nice long tassels, uh, while they're pollinating. And then I'll never forget in boy scouts, learning the difference between, uh, Sourwoods and dogwoods, like other than the bark, you can actually chew on the sourwood leaves a little bit, and they do taste sour. They taste like a green apple sort of thing. So if anybody tries that, I don't suggest you know swallowing it, but yeah, it's definitely okay to to chew on those leaves a little bit. It's yeah, the the honey is
4: the honey is also um, really um, prized as well. If there's a hive near a lot of sourwood trees. A lot of folks seek out that honey because it, I've never I don't think I've ever had sourwood honey. Um, but I know there are some folks that that swear by it and will pay extra if they come across it.
0: Well, I will have to hook you up because my mom and stepdad actually have hives by sourwood trees. They get some sourwood honey. So we'll have Excellent. to see if we can't fix that. Awesome. <laughs> All right. What about you, Grace?
5: OK, uh, so thanks Dylan, my name is Grace. I'm from W. Chris Scott Dam, and my favorite fall tree um, is the dogwood. So we kind of mentioned dogwood a little bit with the sourwood. It gets a purple red leaf, and it has bright red berries, which bluebirds love. And I was gonna pick the quaking quaking aspen, but we don't have that here in North Carolina. And I didn't realize that until I did a quick search. It's really up north. It's it's where i'm from in the north but um i like that tree as well it's it really bright yellow and they have like a a flat leaf stock and they like quake or or shiver basically when the wind blows and it looks like they're waving at you so i think that one's a cool one too
0: yeah i definitely gotta agree with that i've been seeing those red berries everywhere lately so they're uh, like you said birds love those red berries so i I gotta, I gotta give your props there on the dogwood as well. So that's that's some awesome diversity, guys. That's uh, that's pretty cool. So let's uh, move on. I'm gonna let Carmen introduce the core subject of our podcast today.
1: All right, today we've got a, a special treat in store for you. Today we're excited to share information about the CORES partnership program. Partnering is an essential tool that allows the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to effectively manage recreation and environmental resources. With partnerships, we can pool resources to promote coordinated, focused, and consistent mutual efforts to resolve common problems and missions, while avoiding duplication of efforts. Partners may include state governments, Native American tribes, private organizations, public organizations, local communities, and others. Across the core, last year, we worked with over 45,000 partners and had 1,465 partnership agreements with a value of $110 million. In the Wilmington District, we worked with 77 partners and had 49 partnership agreements with a value of $438,000. So for the next few minutes, sit back and relax as we discuss more about the partnership program.
0: Sounds great. So I'm all I'm all about partnerships lately because I recently attended a partnerships course that is taught by our special guest today. Our guest is Mr. Francis Farrell. As he mentioned earlier, he is the chief ranger at Falls Lake. And we will I will be uh, interviewing him about uh, some partnerships here. So just a real quick tidbit about Francis, and then I'll let him introduce himself a little farther, is he is our South Atlantic Division representative on the Corps' Partnership Advisory Committee and currently chairs the committee. And as I mentioned a while ago, he also teaches the partnership course. So I'll turn it over to Francis and let him introduce himself.
2: Thanks, Dylan. I'm really excited to be on the podcast and to talk about partnerships. I love talking partnerships. So um, thanks for having me. Like you said, my name is Francis Farrell. I'm a chief ranger here at Falls Lake and worked in Wilmington District my whole career. I started out as a co-op here at Falls when I was at school at NC State. And then after I graduated, I worked at Jordan Lake for almost 15 years um, and then came back over to Falls as a chief ranger in 2016. Love it here at Falls Lake, and yeah, love talking and working on partnership projects.
0: Awesome. Like I said, we're so glad to have you. Um, Let's start off with a question that sounds simple, but it's sort of complicated. So when we hear partnerships, I know my mind goes to like business partnerships. So as far as the, the core is concerned and how we use it, what is a partnership?
2: Uh, Well, basically, a partnership is an agreement, whether that's formal or informal, uh, between two or more organizations in order to meet a common goal. And that's a really good place to start when you're trying to uh, build up your partnership program is just to think about what kind of common goals do you have with other organizations in your community. Um, Partnerships may involve one organization utilizing another's unique abilities or services. Uh, Or it may just be sharing of each organization's resources to accomplish those objectives or common goals of those participating partners.
0: Okay, awesome. So, what are some benefits to uh, potential core partners out there? Um,
2: Well, there's a lot of benefits uh, on both sides, but benefits to our, our partnering agencies is working with a federal agency, you know, that lends a certain amount of respect and credibility when you're able to show others that you work with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, you know, that lends a certain amount of um, of significance when they see that you're one of our partners, you um, because of variety of missions, you know, we work in navigation, hydropower, natural resource management, recreation, we've got all these different missions. Um, so we've got a lot of different areas where we can find, find partnership projects and partner organizations. Um, we're one of the nation's leading providers of recreations. We have 400 lake and river projects um covering like 12 million acres of land and water in 43 different states so obviously we're a national organization we're spread out all over the country um and it allows us to to have a lot of great national partners that we partner with uh, all across the country like boy scouts or wild turkey federation um and then also just our our um our benefits to the local economies you know all the people that come visit our lakes from out of town or going to restaurants or staying in hotels um they're helping to strengthen and build the those local economies um so those are some of the benefits that our partners get and then we of course get benefits as well the core benefits by like strengthening ties with our local community and we're also when we uh, are able to bring in partners we might be able to provide extra services or or new services that we might not otherwise be able to provide
0: awesome so with basically with partnerships everybody wins sort of thing it's it's a win-win for everyone so that's that's great and i can attest that the core benefits greatly from partners and uh they're a very important part to us succeeding in our mission on a daily basis speaking of those important partners if we're wanting to start a partnership, you know, from from the ground up, start fresh with a interested entity, what are the basic building blocks of a successful partnership?
2: Great question. Well, kind of like I was saying earlier, you know, first start thinking about what are your common goals? You know, where can we work together? Where can we find those win-wins? Um You know, most importantly, partnerships are about the relationships and working together and building up trust between organizations. You know, you can't have a successful partnerships without trust. Um, You'll need to know your partner and what they can do, what they can bring to the table. And you need to know, you know, about yourself and what kind of resources um, our organization can bring to the table and what we can provide. Um, So those are all important things to think about as you're building up a new partnership. Um, you got to have the right resources. Uh, you need to identify those tasks and work projects that you want to accomplish. Um, but you also have to think about like the legal authority and whether, um, whether the organization ha- even has the ability to accept or provide the funding necessary. Really important building block is having that legal authority to work together. And for formal partnership agreements, it's always important to run those agreements through your office of counsel uh, both you and the partner should run them through uh, your your respective legal offices uh, and that can provide that legal foundation to have a successful partnership
0: awesome yeah uh, great advice great info to have uh, having recently took the class that you helped teach uh, we learned about all the different types of partnerships so if you wouldn't mind could could you go in to explaining some of those different types of partnerships because uh, there's a bunch of them uh, until I took the class, I didn't even know really existed. So uh, what can, what can you tell us about those uh, different partnerships?
2: Yeah, you're right, Dylan. There are a lot of different partnership types and uh, it can be confusing that uh, the class is, is very good and in going into detail on all of those different partnership types. There's almost too many to cover just on the uh, the podcast itself so I'll kind of cover some of the most you know heavily used partnership the authority types that we have um, and I'll I'll kind of start with the simplest and work the way up from there um, contributions are our most simple type of partnership they actually don't even require any kind of formal agreement so anytime a group comes out if a local church group comes out and picks up trash on the shoreline mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to have a partnership uh, agreement with them. You know, that's just a simple contribution. And uh, that's one of our, our partnership authorities. Um, we can accept, you know, contributions from outside organizations. And um, a lot of times, you know, a project can show, they can be overlooked when you're reporting your partnerships at the end of the year. So a lot of times you can show growth in your partnership program just by thinking through all of those different informal partnerships that you might have. Um, next up, the getting into more kind of a formal agreement type are MOUs. And um, that's the simplest type of formal partnership agreement. And they're basically just written agreements that kind of lay out each organization's um, goals, listing those common goals. They're basically like agreements to agree and, and work together. And they're not legally binding. Um, So that's kind of the simplest formal agreement type. Then working up from there, you've got challenge partnerships. So those are a little bit more formal. They are legally binding. um, And they're still kind of a general partnership agreement type. You know, you can do lots of stuff under a challenge partnership. Um, They're between non-federal public and private organizations um, and just generally help manage our recreation and natural resource programs. Um, Then you've got cooperating associations. So that's a a formal agreement with a nonprofit. Uh, They have to be a 501c3 or 501c something tax exempt organization, Um, but they can do some things that some of our other partners can not a cooperating association um, sometimes goes hand in hand with our friends groups, but you can have a friends group without the formal agreement, Um, but if they've got a cooperating association agreement, they can do stuff like operate a bookstore in our visitor centers, um, and they have some other uh, abilities to To do to do some things that other partnerships can't do without that uh, um, specific agreement type and then we've got some more specific partnership authorities that I'll cover like Economy Act. So anytime we want to partner with another federal agency, um, we can't just do that informally. We actually anytime we work with another federal agency, we have to go through an, an Economy Act order Uh, and we do have to compensate whoever's um, you know receiving the benefit or getting the work done has to pay the other federal organization um, through an economy act agreement cooperative agreements are another uh, partnership type and sometimes just these names all start to run together or sound very similar Um, so the class and um, some other resources i'll cover later are, are helpful but Cooperative agreements are specific agreement types. They're the only type of partnership where um, the funding kind of can flow from the core to the partner organization. So um, the SCA is a good example. We have a cooperative agreement with the Student Conservation Association, and that allows us to pay some incidentals and some kind of incidental salaries for um, SCA students to come out and work on our projects. Um, and cooperative agreements all have very specific authorities There are things for like noxious weed management, education and research projects. Um, there's a few different cooperative agreement types. And then the last one I'll cover uh, is our newest partnership authority is called the challenge cost sharing cooperative management agreements and this is um, a replacement for uh, our joint management that we had a number of years ago that was deemed to be not legal Uh, but now we have a new legal authority to jointly manage our parks through this challenge cost sharing cooperative management and um, it does need to be done with non-federal public entities so we can't partner with our nonprofits to, to jointly manage our parks under these agreements. There has to be another public agency, like a, a state park agency or a local municipality, or it could be even be a Native American tribal entity or like a local university. Those are all options for jointly managing our parks using the CCSCMA agreement types. So yeah, there's uh, that was just kind of a brief overview and a uh, I think later on, I'll I'll cover some of the resources and how you can find out more information about all those different agreement types.
0: Awesome, Francis. Thank you for all that. I think it's important that citizens know, you know, all these ways they can help if they're interested or business owners or nonprofit owners or anything like that. I mean, it's uh, to know all those possibilities are out there. I think it's just it's awesome. Uh, Let's see our next question. Uh, Carmen mentioned earlier that across the Wilmington District, there's five lakes, three locks and dams, and out of all of us, there were 77 partners total last year. While we can't highlight them all today, let's provide some partnership examples from South, South Atlantic Wilmington District.
2: Yeah, we've got some really excellent partnerships across the district. So um, yeah, we'll just kind of go around the room and each ranger on the podcast can, can talk a little bit about some of the partnerships that they have going on currently. Uh, I'll start with some partners that we have here at Falls. I can't cover them all, but a couple ones that really stand out. Um, we have a cooperating association agreement with the Friends to Mountains to Sea Trail group and they're really active. We've partnered with them for um, you know going on 15, 20 years now And they do a lot of trail maintenance. We have 60 miles of the Mountains to Sea Trail that runs along Falls Lake. And they are doing a ton of work out there, keeping the trail maintained, rerouting when necessary, coming up with new routes, and just having, you know, they do a National Public Lands Day. They just had a National Public Lands Day work event where they had 60 plus volunteers out working on trail projects. So they're an awesome partner. And because of that cooperating association agreement, we're able to sell some of their merchandise, some of their t-shirts and hats and patches and stickers and stuff like that in our visitor center. And we collect the funds for them and then we can turn them over for them to use, to put back into all the great work that they do. And then another partnership that I'll just quickly highlight is just one of those informal contributions. And this actually just happened today. our engineer yard is working on um, replacing the water control gates in our tower inside the dam and they've been hung up there's like a there's something hanging up their stop logs that will um, basically make it safe enough where they can go down and take these gates out and we're uh, unfortunately there they brought a submersible rov but it's no longer working and so we are kind of stuck and not able to figure out what is hanging up those stop logs well because of our great relationship with Wake Forest Fire Department, you know, they are out assisting on drowning events on the lake. And so we knew that they had an ROV, um, and we meet with them often to talk about safety issues on the lake. So we gave them a call. They were able to come out, bring their ROV team. Um, they also took like side scanning sonar images in front of the tower. And it was able for us to get some images of this tree that's sticking through our trash rack and is blocking that stop log from dropping down. So that's kind of just a an example. You know, we have kind of a normal working relationship with the Wake Forest Fire Department. But because of their special abilities and their special equipment, we were able to to get their help through just an informal contribution. So yeah, we can go around the room. Emily, do you want to talk about some of your partnerships you've got going on at CAR?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, You know, Francis, you gave like a really amazing brief overview of so many different types of partnerships. um, And you have been there to help me with a lot of different questions and stuff um, since my time here. So thank you for that and for sharing with everybody. So we have several different partnerships going on. Um, The one I think I'll mention just kind of more um, briefly here that's kind of in the moment happening and has been happening this summer. And I know people visiting um, John H. Carr have seen it if they've been to the Education Center is at our Joseph um, S. J. Tanner Environmental Education Center located pretty much right adjacent to Carr Dam. Folks who've come this summer have made lots of awesome comments about the pollinator gardens out front looking a lot different. We've actually replanted through some informal partnerships. Francis, Francis F., as you've mentioned, in terms of volunteer labor, but also um, through um, basically a, a group of the public getting together with representatives from several of our other Partnership groups um, that we're working on MOUs with um, the for Southern Piedmont Virginia Master Naturalist Chapter. Um, some of our local Master Gardener chapters have come and actually helped. They applied for some different grant money, and we have you know redone our pollinator gardens out here in front of the Tanner Center, all because of these different groups, both with volunteer labor and with actually um, some partners. You know, going ahead and, and trying to apply for some money, and then basically in kind donating. You know, the plant and all that kind of work um, or co- contributing, I guess, is um, our contributions. Um, and so, yeah, we've been able to kind of redo our pollinator gardens out front through um, those different means, basically contributions really at the end of the day, um, but also with the dedication of five, Individuals, members of the public that just want to be involved and help and, and do their thing and, and care about um, our public land here and, and visitors and their experience. So that's kind of a, a very active one that's been happening. It's still ongoing. Um, so we're still working with that group. Um, we we're hoping to do a few more things in the next year um, as well with that group, signage, all sorts of stuff. So it's it's ongoing in the moment. But at Carr, you know, up here at John H. Carr, Bugs Island, um, we do, there's a lot of different things going on. So there's partnerships within the National resource team that's taking place on different you know fisheries wildlife all that kind of stuff going on right now there's you know some other stuff in the recreation kind of area that we're working on with some other possible partner you know partnerships that are kind of ongoing so we could talk about partners all day they help make make the make the dream happen <laughs> i guess you could
2: say Awesome. Yeah, it's it's great to hear from you and get those questions. I love, love answering partnership questions, so keep them coming. And it's great to see all your enthusiasm and partnerships and building up new partnerships up at John H. Carr. It's been exciting. Um, all right, let's move over to John. You want to talk about partnerships at Jordan Lane?
4: Yeah, I sure do. So um, I think I'm going to focus specifically on uh, one of our partners and just highlight uh, their activities and actions. So... Clean Jordan Lake has been pretty much an integral part of our operations since they started back in 2009. Um, I th- believe they were started. The organization was started by a couple of local professors, college professors that recreate on the lake and noticed the problem that uh, was occurring. And that problem is that there's about one and a half million people in our watershed, and there's not a whole lot of impoundments above the lake, so a lot of uh whether it be dump sites or you know recreation related trash um a lot of it was uh, quote-unquote legacy trash so trash that's just been in the environment for years and sometimes decades it was getting to the lake and the dam was essentially did what it does it blocks things from continuing on to the river for the most part so everything was essentially hitting the shoreline and stopping and just continuing to float around the lake. So there were some areas of the lake not that long ago that you could stand in one spot and literally fill an entire bag of trash just without even moving. So the organization uh, or a few folks saw the problem and acted on it. They approached the Corps of Engineers and we signed a cooperative agreement that we actually just renewed this past year for another 10 years. So. It, it grew very quickly and um, it's, it's completely a volunteer run. Um, and they actually just, the Fran Giano, who is now a retired professor just passed the torch um, onto a, a another local, we'll call it business leader, his name is Van uh, Murray. He's a, a business owner and research triangle park here who also is very interested in, in making sure the lake stays uh, as healthy and clean as possible. I think the latest stats are just since 2009. Um, with the uh, with all the cleanups that they have organized, they've been able to pick up 30,000 bags of trash, 6,500 tires, um, and accommodated 14,000 volunteers. So they've done a really, really awesome job. They have a couple of biannual cleanup events, one of which um just occurred this past weekend um and i think our final tally was about 80 volunteers 106 106 bags of trash and 25 tires so um the the legacy trash It is unfortunately is still out there, not as much as it was in 2009 per se, a lot of it has been recovered. So a lot of the things we're seeing now are old, but they haven't been necessarily floating around the lake for, you know, 30 or 40 years. Um, So, you know, that just goes to show you, we haven't had a lot of rain, so there hasn't been a lot of inflow events. From those, you know, heavily urbanized areas like Greensboro, Burlington, Meb, and Chapel Little Durham, but it doesn't take much to deposit a new line of trash, uh, which is unfortunate. But it's just, you know, it's where we are, and um, and Clean Jordan Lake is is ready to hop in and help do something about it. So, um, they they also have helped sponsor. I think there are over thirty different groups for. Uh, adoptive shoreline areas. And they even have um, a couple of adoptive feeder stream uh, groups set up. So they're catching trash in some of those off-project areas before it even gets to Jordan Lake. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to, some of our other partners are, are great, but I just, you know, really wanted to highlight Clean Jordan Lake because I think they do an absolutely amazing job. Um, and we are really, really, i um, excited that that they want to continue working with us and, and do great work for uh, this project.
2: That's awesome. Thanks, John. Yeah, Clean Jordan Lake is near and dear to my heart. I was back, I was working at Jordan when they first started organizing volunteer cleanups. And, you know, it's a really good example of uh, that snowball effect. And a lot of our best partnerships kind of all, all exhibit this snowball effect where they start small. You know, I think we started just doing like kind of really small staff cleanups and realize how much trash was out there and then you know it just kind of built from there the, the the guy that you mentioned Fran started organizing bigger cleanups and then yeah it just he kept going and going and success builds more success so that's a really awesome partnership i'm glad you covered those like clean yeah.
4: Jordan, lake at jordan yeah and uh, i think he's he re- he finally was able to retire in his uh his early 80s he he was up until last year, he was always leading the charge in front of the pack, no grabber in hand, still bending down picking up all that trash. So he was um, he was obviously really passionate about it, and still does. He, he's not directly involved with clean Jordan Lake, but he um, he still participates in in cleanup groups, various cleanup efforts through um, a kayak club that he's involved with. That's out on the lake all the time. So he's he's still out there. He's just not as involved as he has been um but it's, it's always good to see him when we
2: can very good yeah he is a, a one impressive dude um all right well let's head up towards the mountains grace what kind of partnerships you guys have going on there at w Scott?
5: okay so we have several partnerships that we maintain um and i'll probably talk about them a little bit more in the ranger minutes that we're going to do um later on but And all of our partnerships are very important and they fulfill different roles, but I'll highlight one. And that is uh, the Friends of W. Kerscott Lake. Um, This organization is a nonprofit 501 501c3, so we do have a cooperating association agreement with them, and they raise funds and conduct business to serve Debbie Kerr Scott, Um, and that's really one of their their main goals is to um, give back to um, our project. So they sell firewood and ice in our campgrounds. They also uh, sell souvenirs in our visitor centers and our visitor center, um, and they write and apply for grants for us, which is something that us as a government agency, um, we're not allowed to do um, a lot of grants. We're not allowed to apply for many grants. Mostly they're open to um, nonprofit agencies or different things like that and not open to federal agencies. So they fulfill that role. Um, They step in, and as a nonprofit, they ask for donations or they um, apply for grants. For us. Uh, Over the years, they've done so many great things um, for W. Kerr Scott, such as fund the Environmental Education Center, as well as our huge amphitheater at Fort Hamby Park through grants and fundraising and matching funds and different things like that. Um, And those are just two examples. Um, I, I can't remember when the Friends group became came to be but um they were they have done a lot of really amazing things over the years um and they're they kind of have dwindled a little bit in numbers um in their board numbers but um we're getting a new president here soon Uh, if that hasn't already happened they were in the works on that and so we're we're kind of revamping it and hopefully it's going to get its second life and they're just an invaluable partner to have here at w scott
2: yeah, that's great. Yeah, sometimes you know, partnership—that energy kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. But getting some new blood involved and bringing some new folks in can can really do a lot to recharge a, a partnership. So that's awesome to hear, Grace. All right, uh, Dylan, you want to wrap us up and uh, and talk about partnerships up at Philpot?
0: Sure, I would love to. Our main partner at Philpot is Dan River Basin Association, or you'll often hear us refer to them as DARBA. They're an awesome organization. They they're pretty large. They're they're a regional organization. They cover the whole Dan River basin as their territory, if you will. But they're really instrumental with us. We actually have a cooperating association agreement with them. So they are a cooperating association with us, going back to the types of partnerships that Francis mentioned earlier. And they're really instrumental in getting a lot of things done as far as uh, interpretive projects. They help me out a ton there as far as our interpretive displays and as well as interpretive programming. Uh, We partner with them to do a program called STIC, which is a really amazing program. Uh, My numbers on it this year, we do that program with fourth grade. And I've reached a little over 420 fourth graders this year with that program, partnering with them, and have also got to hand out the Every Kid Outdoors cards as part of that, which we'll talk about later. But it's it's been a great partnership. They also helped us design the Philpot Lake Blue Way. They helped design a brochure for that as well as install Blue Way identifier signs, as well as interpretive panels. So I could go on on and on about DARPA, uh, about the stuff they've helped us with trails, cleanups. They also sell firewood in the campgrounds so people don't have to go walking through the woods and trying to find all the scraps that are left at the, at the end of the season. So, yeah, they're, they're just really instrumental in what happens here. And we're working on a lot of things in the future. Um, we're trying to get a gift store started at at Philpot. So that'll be happening soon. Hopefully our timeline for that's the beginning of next year. I um, was hoping to have it open this fall, but run into a few hiccups. But that's nothing we can't iron out. And then I'm also working with them on developing a couple displays for the... Uh, for the visitor center. So really looking forward to that. And then I want to hit a couple contributing partners real quick. I'll go in more detail into these later, but one of the main local ones is Papa's Pizzeria. And uh, I wanted to mention them just because, you know, it goes to show that it don't have to be an environmental organization. It could be anyone. So uh, the way they contribute is, of course, with food. So like, for example, with our stick program, when we take fourth graders into the field and uh, plant their trees every year, they provide all the meals for our, Uh, Volunteers that help with that event, and we've had to call on them on other events, and uh, they've jumped right in there and helped us. Uh, We had a um, major flood event where we was uh, having to do a lot of supervision with the landslide and the flooding back in 2019, and uh, they just they brought us free pizza for having to have like extended shifts and that sort of thing. So they're just, they're really special to us, hold a place near and dear to our hearts. And they're, they've been good as gold to us. So yeah, that's a, that's a couple major ones, uh, here locally. And I could go on about several others. Um, but I'm going to save that for our weekly ranger minutes, I think, and, uh, give all, give all those folks the credit they deserve. But that was awesome, Francis. Uh, Going around the horn, learning about everybody's different partners, I think that's so cool. Um, it's awesome for other people within the district, or maybe across the nation, or even a wider spectrum. Uh, Whoever is listening to the podcast, realize you know all the different types of partners we have. That each one of us have partners, active partners. That's really cool to uh, put that exposure out there. So let's move on to our next question. That that was a good one. Our next question is where could an interested party such as a business or someone in a nonprofit organization or anything really, where could they find out more information about our about being able to partner with the core?
2: Well, there's a lot of good resources out there. You know, some are just available for core employees, but there are lots of great resources, you know. For any member of the public or any local business or organization that wants to learn more about partnering with the Corps. Uh, we've got like a nice handout sheet. Actually, Emily up at Carlake made a, 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 we have got one kind of focused on nationally partnering with the Corps, but Emily used that as a template to build uh, a, a local handout that really focuses on partnering with the Corps at John H. Carlake. Uh, so that was a really cool initiative. Under the, if you Google the Natural Resource Management Gateway, that's got a lot of really great information about partnerships. Um, You click on the Partners tab, and the Partnership Advisory Committee really works hard on keeping that website up to date with all kinds of partnership information. We go into a lot of detail about all the different partnership authorities. And you can find like examples of of success stories. You can find examples of existing agreements. So you can, you know, copy copy liberally from there. Uh, You don't have to reinvent the wheel on on making a new um, partnership type. There's like decision trees and flow trees on how to decide what type of partnership would work best for you. Um, So lots of great resources on the NRM gateway. For for core employees, if you just want to find out, you know, kind of more information or there's a new tool that I want to highlight Uh, it's housed in the environmental stewardship national initiatives model and there's a link to that right there on the front page of the gateway. Um, And it's basically a way to visualize all the data that we put in at the end of the year about our partnerships. And you can filter and you can look at the map and it'll map will update as you're filtering data down. So if you wanted to select your division or district and then select like a range of years or even like a partnership agreement types, if you wanted to find like handshake agreements in your district to get some ideas, uh, you know, that's really easy to filter it down and, and look at what other lakes in your in your district are doing under handshake agreements. Um, And then the the class that you guys have mentioned, uh, a couple of you guys have been to it. The Partnerships and Natural Resources Management class is run through Prospect. It's through Huntsville, so you can find it in the Purple Book. And um, the Partnership Advisory Committee um, teaches that two times or two to three times a year. Uh, Ever since COVID, we've been catching up and teaching it more often. Uh, And we teach it all over the country. Um, We just recently taught it up at Summersville Lake. Uh, in West Virginia. And next year, we're going to be teaching it in the spring in Mark Twain Reservoir. And then um, later on in September, we're going to be hosting it right here in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. And we'll take a field trip out to Falls and Jordan Lakes to look at some of the, the great partnerships that we've got going on here in the Triangle. Um, so, th- yeah, those are just a few um, resources, but if you're interested in partnering at any of our lakes, you know, one great way to get more information is just go into the lake and and ask questions about partnering and ask to, to talk with that lake's, you know, partnership POC, and, and that's a really great way to get started with, uh, with developing a new partnership.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Francis, and I'm really happy we had you on today. Are we missing anything? Is there anything else that... uh you want the public to know about partnering with the Corps. Uh,
2: just a couple of kind of final words on partnerships, and um, the first is something that um, in the early '90s, you know, the Corps of Engineers started really realizing how important partnerships were, and were all the federal agencies, and we we got that's when we first got some of our um, actual legal authority to enter into partnerships, and something that a general at the time, General Struck, said was. Partnerships, it's important to remember that partnerships are a handshake, not a handout. And that's just basically like we've talked about before. It's both the organizations need to be to find a benefit out of a partnership to have a successful uh, relationship. So you got to find those win-wins and find those common goals. And just a kind of final thought is just how crucial partnerships are to our missions. I mean, we all kind of as, as core park rangers know that our 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 budgets are tightening a little bit. It's, you know, we're especially in the recreation field, we're starting to, to see our budgets tighten and the cost of business is doing, you know, is going up and up. seems like every year, um, things cost more. So if we're going to keep providing those, um, you know, the services and meeting the expectations that our public, you know, has for our organization, we're, we're just going to have to really rely on partnerships more and more, um, to get our job done. So, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on to talk about partnerships. Um, it's been a great podcast.
0: Awesome. No, it's been my pleasure. Always good to hear about uh, about partnerships from, from Francis. It's been great, and uh glad we're getting the word out there about it. Um, just real quick uh, before we move on, one thing I've been working on uh, the the last week really hard at my office is I've been putting up a... Are putting together a partnership presentation for the public, and what I plan to do here at Philpot, hopefully the first or second week in November, is I'm going to have a partnership "quote unquote" open house. So I'm going to be distributing a invite out to all the local businesses and nonprofit organizations and state and local government organizations, and see if I can get as many people over to our visitor center as possible uh, to watch this presentation and to show them all the possibilities that I just, I don't think a lot of them are aware of. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. And a lot of that was inspired by uh, the, the partnerships course that Francis helped teach. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's on the horizon for everyone because it seems like partnerships just continue to grow all the way across the district. All right. So I hope everyone learned a lot about partnerships today. I'm going to turn it over to Grace Trimble over at Kershcott Lake. And she's going to tell us what's on the horizon and fill us in on some things to look out for.
5: Okay, so um, we want to make sure that you're aware that we have our weekly ranger minutes, uh, so you want to make sure that you catch those, um, where each lake will dive into their partnerships. Um, And then in November coming up, uh, we look forward to taking a closer look at our volunteer program across the Wilmington District. So usually with these, sometimes we try to cover some National um, Environmental Education Factor National Day. Um, and I found for November 15th, this happens every year on November 15th, uh, we have America Recycles Day, which is a Keep America Beautiful national initiative, which is the only nationally recognized day dedicated to promoting and celebrating recycling in the United States. So each year on and in the weeks leading t- into November 15th, 15th, thousands of communities across the country participate in promoting environmental citizenship and taking action to increasing and improving uh, recycling in the U.S. So that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that we had a nationally recognized day for recycling. Um, So it is November 15th, so mark your calendars. And Dylan had mentioned this when he was talking about um, one of his partnership programs that he does in the schools has uh, you know our listeners were, we're wondering if you've heard about every kid outdoors pass. So the every kid outdoors fourth grade pass is free for. US fourth grade students and covers entrance and standard amenity fees. Uh, this pass is obtained by student ex- the student exchanging and everyday or I'm sorry every kid outdoors pass voucher for the pass or fourth grade, teachers can print vouchers for all of their students. This pass is valid for 12 months beginning in September of the year that the student begins fourth grade, and it is good all the way through August of that of the following year. So for the entire year that the student is in fourth grade from September all the way through August. Um, So partnering agencies supporting the Every Kid Outdoors program include U.S. Bureau of Land Management, um, National Park Service, U.S. Forest and Wildlife Service, I'm sorry, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, U.S. Forest Service, and of course, the Army Corps of Engineers, among others. Um, And as a bonus, our park rangers can Also visit your classroom if you're within driving distance. Um, So after the program, we will issue Every Kid Outdoors passes um, to all the students. So call and email us to schedule that.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Grace. And uh, yeah, that Every Kid Outdoors pass is great. I love the fact that it gets more kids outside, uh, gets them interacting with nature, and I look forward to handing those out every chance I get. So... Thank you for hitting on that. So let's go to Emily for our water safety tip of the month.
3: Okay. So I'm thinking about this month um, and Grace just, you know, mentioned the word dive. And so I actually want to talk about basically the idea of water safety in regards to never diving or jumping Um, into unknown bodies of water and the um, importance of that. And boating comes into this as well, right? I'm paying attention to where you're boating. So all of everywhere that we work as park rangers with the Corps, either at a lake or a river is in some ways considered wild still, right? We've got flowing water, debris is moving around the lake. Um, It could be natural debris, a tree, all that kind of stuff, or it could be a man-made thing like, you know, John was talking about some trash that they've gotten out of um, Jordan Lake. Could be a tire, could be all sorts of stuff. And so it's very important while you're recreating outside in and around the water to make sure you don't dive or jump into a lake or river um, because we don't know what that underwater obstruction might be. And also to keep that in mind while you're boating, right? If you're going to somewhere that you're unfamiliar with, we need to keep that in mind too. So follow the buoys, know your buoys, um, make sure you consider that there could be some, unknown underwater obstructions so that's uh the water safety tip of the month
0: awesome thank you emily and uh before i close out i would just want to hit on something else uh safety related so here in much of the south or much of the united states i guess but especially uh here locally in virginia and north carolina uh hunting season is now open namely uh Black tail deer hunting season, as well as black bear in a lot of places. So that being said, anyone that's out there hunting, please do so safely. Follow all the uh, commandments for gun handling safety, entering and exiting your tree stand safely if you use one, make sure you're wearing your safety harnesses when doing so, use a lifeline, make sure you tell somebody where you're going, what time to expect you back, all that good stuff. So please, please be safe out there. Hunting this year, we don't want any hunting-related accidents. Be sure you're highly visible. You're wearing your orange, and uh, on that note, that also goes for uh, recreationists too. So, if you're hiking or if you're in a wildlife management area doing wildlife viewing during hunting season, which I don't recommend, but if if you insist, please be sure that you're wearing blaze orange. Or in Virginia, it's allowed to wear blaze pink as well. to to make sure you're visible to anyone that might be out there engaged in those types of recreation activities. So with that being said, thank you everyone for listening to our podcast. Uh, We hope you got a lot from it. We hope to possibly see some folks hear this and want to become partners with the Corps of Engineers, no matter where you're listening, if there's a Corps of Engineers like by you and uh, you're interested in partnering, go and strike up that conversation. Tell them about your goals. Tell them what you'd like to see accomplished and see if you guys cannot get a uh, game plan together to make that happen. Um, and if this does lead to a partnership, let us know. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review. That would be super cool. We would love to know if uh, if this podcast leads to another potential uh, partnership. So with that being said, everyone stay safe out there. Good luck to anyone uh, engaged in hunting and fishing. Be safe in all your other outdoor activities. Enjoy the fall camping weather. It's my favorite time of the year to camp. Enjoy the leaf change and enjoy those nice toasty fires because we we all know those campfires feel the absolute, absolute best during these fall temps, these nice crisp 40 to 50 degree fall nights. It makes camping awesome. So that being said, Everyone enjoy your time, and we look forward to you listening to our next podcast and keep an ear out for those weekly Ranger Minutes. Thank you. Have a good month.